The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectations and all were questioning their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, we started out okay on this Sunday of joy as we light the joy candle. But, whoa, whoa, how did we get here with John the Baptist? Seems to kind of kill the spirit of Christmas, doesn't it? Whatever that is. I hear it. I heard it actually, I came in on the end of a movie last night that my daughter was watching, and it was talking about the spirit of Christmas. And all I could gain from that was the spirit of Christmas has something to do with giving or puppies or magical icicles or something like that. I don't know. I kind of have this theory that every year, you know, around Thanksgiving, God and the spirit are like, we're sending the sun again. This is the time when the when it will all be made whole again, we're sending the sun, and then those first Christmas movies come out, and God's like, God the Father's like, I can't do that to you. I can't do that. <laughs> Some of them are good, but 90%, I'm not so sure. 
All right, well, bah humbug on me as well. Boy, I tell you what, John's word today, uh, Kim uh, Grasmick sent me a graphic. I don't think, it's not up on the slide, right? I think the, my revision didn't get up there, so that's fine. What's that? It's there? Oh, can you go to it? One more. Oh, there it is, yeah. Yes, she sent me this uh, graphic. Happy third Sunday of Advent, you brood of vipers, right? And we may have our own good news messages during this Advent leading up to this Christmas season. If you can go to the next slide, I found this one too. Christmas tip, wrap empty boxes and put them under the tree. Every time, although they can't spell every time, that's not one word. Anyway, every time your child acts up, throw one into the fireplace, <laughs> right? <laughs> John has this bonfire going, and maybe we can come up with our own, if that's what this is about. Is this this heavy word of judgment? But again, this is the Sunday of joy, and you can go to that next slide now. This is the time when somewhere in this whole puzzle we're supposed to find joy in this puzzle of life. It's kind of hard to find. seems kind of small in this gospel reading for today. Well, I want to tell you a story in kind of three little parts, and maybe it will relate to what John is talking about today. When I was working in for uh, Head Start Preschool, there, was, uh, there were a couple of guys who were really active, and they were big-time bikers, and they invited me to do this benefit ride with them. It was a benefit for Mary Bridge Children's Hospital, specifically for the child abuse uh, center and the outreach that they did, the great work that they were doing in that uh, community of Pierce County in Tacoma. And so, yeah, definitely I wanted to bear fruit, wanted to ride and, and benefit that organization that we worked with. And so I signed up, but then they told me what it was involved. It was three days over three different mountain passes in the Cascades. And I thought, whoa, I've never done anything like that. And I got really scared and I I started to train, you know, by myself, but I didn't really know what I was doing or how to ride that far. Um, I didn't know how to fuel myself. And actually, one of the times I went out for a ride, and it was the longest one I had done. It was only about, I think, about 20 miles. But I fed myself that morning with uh, a couple of packets of instant oatmeal, you know, the stuff that has a little bit of oatmeal and a lot of bit of sugar. And that's what I ate, and that was all I had. And then, and then right before lunch, I went out on this ride. And I got up on uh, South Hill of Puyallup, if, if you know where that is, and, and kind of up into that area. And then I was coming down that hill, and I started to just lose energy. I mean, big-time drop in energy. I got to the South Hill Library. I got to the lawn outside of the South Hill Library. And I felt, I remember I felt just I couldn't go anymore. Like, I could not make my legs continue to go. And so I, I stopped. I kind of threw my bike on the lawn, and I just absolutely collapsed. I felt like I was going to fall asleep. I was dizzy. I was kind of shaking and a little bit numb in my fingers and toes. And I just was not doing this right. But I was too ashamed to go inside. I was too embarrassed. I didn't want to ask for help. So I just laid there for a while, confronted with my own mortality in that moment at 24 years old. Well, Chad Bird from 1517 Media kind of talks about John's call out into the wilderness. And it's a rough one. 
It's one where we're confronted with our own mortality in some ways, our own sin. He says it this way. He says, John beckons you out of civilization into the wilderness of repentance. To to live a life of repentance is to sit at John's feet in the desert sand. And what do you see in this desert wilderness of repentance? Barrenness stares blankly at you. The hollow eyes of death peer into your soul. When you go to St. John in the desert, into the painful stillness where you are utterly alone with the law of God, there your eyes behold with clarity the desert of your own heart, filled only with the wild monsters of your sins. Sit in the dust of this wilderness. Pick up a handful of dirt. Watch it trickle between your fingers. Behold your origin and your end, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. There in the wilderness of repentance where the pride of life is absent and the humility of death pervasive, there confess what you see. And then he quotes from the liturgy for private confession from Lutheran worship. It says, I have lived as if God did not matter and as if I mattered most. My Lord's name I have not honored as I should. My worship and prayers have faltered. I have not let his love have its way with me. And so my love for others has failed. There are those whom I have hurt and those whom I have failed to help. My thoughts and desires have been soiled with sin. Whoa. (laughs) Heavy stuff. John's words out in the wilderness are a facing of our own sin, but they are also a naming of other truths as well. If we think about God's people, They have been cut off. They've experienced the axe at the root of the tree. They've been cut off for their identity for centuries, separated, chopped down, and even burned up as a people. John is out there, and he is doing a number of different things. He is naming their guilt worthy of death and destruction. But then he is also naming the things out of their control the hurts they cannot fix by their own understanding or their own effort. And John calls out all of this in the wilderness, away from domesticated life, away from selling out to the powers around them, away from rationalizing their own sins committed and scapegoating others or canceling them for their missteps, away from distracting themselves from their own individual faults and the systemic faults that benefit them at the cost of their own brothers' and sisters' lives. And maybe there is something that draws them out, and maybe even draws us out, some truth in all of this, maybe even some kind of relief in just naming it out loud rather than hiding it away. I had a professor who said that counseling or pastoral care is 90% listening and 10% not saying anything stupid. Yeah, we laugh too, but he's right. (laughs) And I can tell you that a lot of times the most growth that I've seen somebody do in in counseling with them is, you know, I'll I'll think, you know, they'll say, well, that was really helpful, and I I think, "I I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. And I go back to that quote. Hopefully I didn't say anything stupid, right? But sometimes... Just saying something out loud, saying that even in community with with another person, naming it so it comes from the inside 
into the outside, doing that robs it of its power. It no longer controls you from within, but you can see it and name it on the outside. That can be some of the most powerful work in counseling. But it doesn't end there. John doesn't just lead them to the conviction of the law. He doesn't just lead them to some kind of self-help answers. He doesn't try to sort of solve their problems in the, in the immediate so much. What he does is he leads the vipers and he leads the barren trees and he leads the chaff, heavy grain, to the waters of baptism. In the midst of the, the venom and the, and the burning, he leads them to cooling waters. Eventually, I felt enough energy to get up off the grass in, that, in front of the South Hill uh, Library in Puyallup. I got to my bike, and I still was embarrassed to go inside, but I had worked at a, at a kind of a halfway house for teens uh, just about a, a mile or so from that, from that grassy spot. So I walked my bike, and I would stop, and I would sit in the, in the ditch, and I would continue to walk. I'm sorry, I'm laughing at myself. What an idiot. Anyway, I would, <laughs> I would continue, and I finally made my way down the kind of the gravel driveway and to that place. And I, I knew some people there, and so I said, can, can you guys help me? I, like, I just, I need something to drink, and I need something. I didn't bring any water either, by the way. I need something to drink. I need something to eat. So they, they gave me their, this, like, I don't know, we used to call it bug juice. It's just that sort of strange foreign-colored juice with sugar in it. And they made me a frozen pizza and all that kind of stuff. And it took me about an hour and a half. But with that nourishment and in that community, I finally gained my strength back again. For those people that come to John, that come out from all of the distractions and out from all of the comforts and, and go into that wilderness and face the death and destruction of their own sin and the sin that they can't control, are dipped into that water. They're refreshed. But then as they come out of that water, there's even more. The people say to John, well, now what? And he gives some kind of general instruction to them about about justice and care for your neighbor. His reply is really kind of fascinating, though, because the one who has called them away from palaces and from temples and from their everyday life now kind of has options to give them. Perhaps they should now escape into a life removed from these worldly things. Maybe they should go farther out into the desert and form a community apart from the cares and the brokenness of the world. Or perhaps they should join together in revolt of the powers around them and attack the sinful world. All of that was happening around them in various communities. But no, John doesn't call them to do either of those things or any other kind of thing. He calls them neither to escape nor revolt. Instead, John sends them back into the world. Again, there were other options then and now to retreat further into the wilderness and resist the evil world. That's the path of self-righteousness. Works to make us right before God and our own controlling solution to this desert reality. The other path to revolt, to take on the powers over us and do something already. Channel the anger and rise up against the powers around you. But these people who are washed in the waters of baptism, 
are called to do neither. Even the most slithering snakes of that day, the worst vipers of them all, the tax collectors and the mercenary soldiers, are not called to simply reject their livelihood, but to live in a way that honors their profession and, through their profession, those they encounter. To live, in other words, as if something actually happened in those waters of baptism. To come out of the bonfire of their sin and brokenness, refined by that fire. Not escaping it, but refined by it. In order to live in the world with, wait for it, joy. Now, I'm not sure if John was off about what the Messiah was going to do. Maybe he did think this was really the end. This was the final kind of uh, thing that God was going to do. Maybe he saw the final kingdom of this world being being kind of overtaken by this son of man image that he would have had from the book of Daniel, the one who comes from heaven to destroy all of the kingdoms of this world and rule forever. And that was something that probably sounded pretty okay to a people who had centuries of history being ruled by other powers. Or maybe, or maybe John did see what Jesus would become, what he was, an advent bonfire, consuming our sins so that we might be refined, renewed, and ready to bear fruit in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities, in our culture, and in every nook and cranny where a transformed life of faith might actually make a difference, where a viper washed of its venom might pass, may, may pass on the grace and the mercy he received. Where a barren tree whose roots have been watered may receive the nourishment she needs to bear fruit again, coming out of the shadows with courage and strength. Perhaps in the ashes and in the dust and desert sand of the wilderness, there is an appreciation for the water of life and an inability coming out of that water to live with anything but joy anything but mercy and justice and a deep sense of thanks. I eventually went on that bike ride. It wasn't 20 miles a day. It was 60 to 80 miles a day, actually, over Snoqualmie, then over Blewett, then over Stevens Pass. And I had so much fun in that community on that ride. It was such a joy. It wasn't out of out of fear and out of anguish or out of, oh, I got to do this. I got to figure it out myself. It was out of a joy. In fact, we were so overjoyed, we actually did Blewett Pass twice. You go up the regular one, and then if you came down, you can go up Old Blewett Pass. It's really awesome because at the bottom, a donkey will kiss you on the head. But it's a bike rider thing you wouldn't understand. But that's kind of what it's like to come out of these waters. Whether or not the world changes, we come out renewed and strengthened and refreshed and ready to face whatever life may have for us. Because we are children of God, refined by fire, washed by water, refreshed and renewed and filled with joy. We are, with God, joy to the world. Amen. <laughs>